Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path Ventures' first rumor mill. Rumor mill! After every three-episode recap and discussion and email reading and all the rest of that good stuff. Behind the scenes, if you will. Plus, we get to do our own conspiracy theorizing. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I've got a whole like clue board up behind me. There's a whole bunch of yarn. It's uh, pretty neat. It's a little too early to start the conspiracy board, Ross. We at least <laughs> need to wait until episode it's five. It's never or too early. Says never you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, for those of you familiar with uh, our usual way of doing things, after every three episodes, we do a recap where we discuss some things, kind of talk behind behind the scenes, things that uh, we find interesting but would interrupt the flow of the narrative if we were to mm-hmm. just include them in the episodes themselves. And so we deliver you the uh, the finest product there and then take all the rest of the stuff and we put it here. Think of it as the fattening uh, your after dinner dessert. dessert. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The pudding, if you will. It's like the cappuccino. And we will also eventually be answering your emails with your questions about Hell's Rebels. Can, yes. Seeing as yes. this is the first one, we don't have those yet. So send us emails. You can definitely send us emails to mail at findthepathpodcast.com or you can tweet at us or find us on other social media at findthepathpod. And we also have a Discord channel, which there will be channels, I'm sure, to discuss this. Yep. We got a link to that or an invite to that on our website, find-path.com. So, yeah, eventually we'll, of course, be doing emails and all the rest of that. But though right now we don't really have any of that. Although shout out to uh, to our Discord and, uh, and Electric Giga on there, who I believe was the first one who theorized that we would be doing Hell's Rebels. So On uh, the day that we put the countdown on the day that in, we put too. The countdown. Like, didn't even yeah. need time to think. It's the we, bird. It was too much of a giveaway. We have the smart fans. Mm. Hey, it took a couple weeks before they were like, second edition? Second yeah, edition. Second, second edition. edition, maybe. So our usual format for this is a, uh, a brief recap, followed by some episode discussion. And then usually we'll do emails, although this time I've got a, a something a little bit different planned. And then, I don't like ooh, surprises. Surprise. I like surprises, but I'm paranoid. Also, um, if you're curious about Rick's conversion of Hell's Rebels, that's uh, a Patreon exclusive. You can go to our Patreon and uh, get access to those notes. You can run Mm -hmm. your very own Hell's Rebels in second edition. That's true. And we'll uh, we'll tackle that a little bit here when we get to uh, the second half, the back half, if you will, Uh of (laughs) the uh, the rumor mill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I suppose let's uh, let's roll in with a little bit of a recap here. So we uh, we did three episodes, our first three episodes. Oh my uh, episode one being our introduction at a little thing that I read about like the history and all the rest of that. I assume that most people coming into this know the Galarian setting and probably play Pathfinder. But if you don't know the Galarian setting, I felt it was kind of important for you to know why Thrun is bad and why people yep. don't like Thrun. Very good, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot bigger beef than just this guy came in and said and said some proclamations we don't like. Yeah, Mint yeah. is outlawed. We never did go over all the proclamations. Some of them are shenanigans, like no yes. tea. All, pretty much all after, of them are. after night. No mint. Rather than do it that way, why don't we just go around? Everybody take a proclamation, and then Rick can get two. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. The first episode introduced what Chiliax is, and then kind of talked a little bit about Brazil I Thrown and his whole like crazy proclamations which are the uh, the first one being that uh, uh, all slayers of cities pests hereby defined as doves mice and ravens I don't know why he has a thing against doves but not <laughs> not actually pigeons I guess which are adjacent to doves but anyway he likes pigeons uh, who present said pests to the Datari shall be rewarded with the bounty of one copper piece mm-hmm. and to Ooh, specify who the Datari are they're the city guard yes, yes. it's just the Chalaxian word for guardsmen Cool. Yeah. Well, the second proclamation is all places of public business must display in a position of prominence within the first room accessible from the building's primary entrance a portrait of her infernal magistrix, Queen Abigail II. And said portrait must measure no less than 17 by 11 inches. I think uh, Ross and I were joking about this the other day that it's good that mm. they specified like where it had to be because otherwise it's like, yeah, you know, I have her, I've got her portrait hanging up in the loo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, no, totally have one. It's very like Mao, <laughs> like it feels very like dictator. Mm, very dear yeah. leader. Yeah, you know, Stalin did the same thing where there are pictures mm-hmm. of Stalin hanging in everyone's think, houses. Uh, doesn't Kim Jong-un do that I too? I think Kim Jong-un requires it. I would not be surprised. It's, yeah. a, it's a classic dictator move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always remind you who's oppressing you. 
Yep. Proclamation of the third. So the third proclamation is all those who capture alive and unharmed feral dogs of a weight exceeding 50 pounds are to be rewarded with a payment of two silver pieces upon transfer of the dogs to the Dotari. Such noble guardian creatures should find homes worthy of their kind. So in a little backstory on that, as the players somewhat know, Brazil Ithrune loves dogs. And he likes to execute people by having dogs eat them. He calls it yep. dog housing. Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> if you don't have the context, that one actually is a really good proclamation. Yeah, you would no, think but so, he, yeah. he wants you to bring him all the feral dogs so he has hungry, starved dogs to kill people with. But they have to be big so they can kill people. Yeah. Yep. He particularly hates small dogs, though. They, they, it mentions mm-hmm. that in, his, in the player's mm-hmm. guide about what you know about him, <laughs> yeah. that he hates small dogs. He, yes, this is how we know he's evil. He hates small dogs. Uh-huh. I mean, he hates corgis, probably. How could you hate a corgi? How is that possible? <laughs> because you are aren't evil. small so much as they are squat. They're less than 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. All I'm imagining now is just like some person, some poor guy chained to the ground or whatever. And it's like, it's like, now you'll be executed. And he's like, oh, no. And they open up the cage and like a dozen corgis come running out on their tiny little legs. It's like, oh, it's so adorable. Oh, the horror. <laughs> are shockingly fast little creatures. They are. That low center of gravity, man. When they want to be. So, proclamation the fourth. The right to wear fine embroidered clothing in public is hereafter prescribed to anyone other than the agents of House Thrun or the Holy Church of Asmodeus. Exceptions can be awarded or purchased at the city's discretion. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just reminds me of when teachers have to, like, pay $2 to be able to wear wear jeans. jeans on Friday. Yeah, we have that at the hospital, too. It's like $5 a a month or something ridiculous, and you can wear jeans on Fridays for that month. Scrubs are so comfy, though. Really Yeah, as I say, I'd rather wear scrubs when it came to that, but... It's just petulant. Like, there's no reason why embroidery is bad or amoral or any, like, justification you can come up with. Apparently, rich people and the church can wear fancy clothes is what that boils down to. Yeah, you basically have to deserve it, which Mm -hmm. is, like, just... It's just silly. Like that's the that's the one why Lucia is so mad. It's like that is silly. There is no reason why embroidery should be banned. <laughs> yep. Proclamation the fifth. Grain is life. Should <laughs> grain be spilled in public, all must be gathered, cleaned, and repackaged within the hour. Any person who allows grain to go ungathered after a spillage shall be fined one copper piece per grain. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is just freaking ridiculous. Not messing around there. Yeah. <laughs> is this like, okay, so we talked about how they have like cool salmon and stuff in, in I think, episode three. Mm-hmm. But is grain like really expensive and rare or is it like a major export of, of Kentargo? Like I wasn't really clear on that. No. With all of these proclamations and you can get into like, especially because the last two get a little nuts. Mm-hmm. Each one of them just becomes progressively more extreme. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the first one, I mean, the first one isn't even really all that bad, encouraging people to kill rats, you know, I mean, why it's terrible for the rats and such. Uh, in a city like this, especially during a medieval time period that they don't usually have proper sanitation, could help with slowing down the spread of disease and things yeah, like that. Yeah, but killing mm-hmm. ravens is bad. Yeah, ravens is silly. As it progresses, it gets more and more outlandish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, as, as you eventually determined, for good reason. Mm-hmm. He's trying to provoke technically speaking i mean grain still is really important i mean it is a staple of literally everyone's diet so there's a little bit of like oh okay yeah grain is important but i mean really though that's pretty intense (laughs) one copper piece per grain it's life ross it's life life bread is life i mean bread is life There's also a little bit of skullduggery in this one. There is a phrasing issue that if you wanted to, you could interpret in a specific way. So it says, when spilled in public, it must be gathered, cleaned, and repackaged within the hour. If you want to interpret that, you could say within the hour of the clock. So if you spilled it at like 1245, you have until one to get it all cleaned up. I thought you were going to say any person who allows grain... Yeah, that's the one I was focusing on. Everybody that's nearby, the person who owns the grain, the people in the crowd near the grain. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, that. So it's like, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Gotta love lawful evil. Uh, yeah. From there, speaking of ridiculous, we get into Proclamation the Sixth. 
Ah, yes. The imbibing of night tea brings a dangerous imbalance to the slumbering mind. Between the hours of sunset and sunrise, the taking of tea is prescribed. Adria breaks this every night. (laughs) Also, it's almost unenforceable unless you were just like knocking down doors and being like, you drink tea in here? Well, well like, eventually they'll start doing that. They'll, oh, we're here to check to see if you have your picture of Abigail up and, oh, you're drinking tea? Time yeah. to go yeah. to jail. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it also doesn't state what the punishment is for that. Yep. Whatever they decide. Although, actually, I have the punishments for everything. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, jeez. I'm kind of curious. Just uh, in case one of us gets arrested I'll, during I'll this. give it to you for the tea. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. It is a one gold piece fine. Wow. wow. Per case. Oh, man. And if you cannot pay the fine, it is 1d4 days of incarceration. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Wild. I shall throw it in the Dahaba. That is insane. Yeah. We're going to throw the har- We're going to make a big old batch of tea at night. And we're going to put it in the harbor. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Mint the tea, tea just so harbor. that he doesn't like the smell of it. <laughs> Mint tea, yes. So it's a speaking of... Yeah. Yep, that brings us to Proclamation the 7th, which is the odor and flavor of mint is an abomination to the refined palate. Be not the Cretan. Mint use in candies, drinks, and all manners of confections is hereby prescribed. That is such crap. I love mint. And also on the subject of ridiculousness and it becoming steadily, steadily worse, it's a two gold piece fine for... Oh my gosh. For possession. Not even drinking or using possession of it is two gold pieces per case. Oh, wow. So if you got like a bag of Andy's mints or something, you're basically broke. If they catch you with it. There's a whole like subtext in this of if you've ever worked in legal contracts, you want to be extremely specific with stuff. So there's no loopholes. But this stuff is written so that there's tons of loopholes, depening on how much you want to screw somebody over. It's again. also it's also a D six days of incarceration. Oh my god! Well, so. again, uh, hi Asmodee, is how you doing? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So all of that to be said, uh, in episode one we did establish that uh, the city of Kentargo was under some difficult new rules and some uh, some difficulties with the new people in charge. And every day there's a new one coming out, which is also just grand. I just want to mail this guy a giant package of like mint. You know, like they have like glitter bombs and stuff. Figure out a way that way. Yes. And it just explodes Mm. right in his smug inquisitor face. I mean, it's quite it's quite possible that he just loves mint (laughs) and wants it all for himself. They can then confiscate all the mint stuff for him. He can hoard it all himself. Mm. So maybe he just really loves mint. He really loves mint and loves tea and Oh, he just God. doesn't want anyone else to have well, anything happy. Of course, happy. He's, he's above the law, so like yep. you know, he's not going to be. He's, nobody's going to put him in jail. Yeah, he's just sitting up in his room, surrounded by all of his happy little or his happy big dogs, with you know his giant thing of candy and his embroidered night robe, <laughs> hanging out wow. drinking tea after dark. <laughs> this guy, this wow. guy, just occasionally like shooting down the occasional raven or something as it flies by. Oh yeah. gosh! <laughs> like shook. No, he, he had them kill all the birds so that he could pluck them, so he could have like nice down pillows and cushions. It's a whole thing. Mm. I'm not going to say whether or not that's the case. You'll have to wait until, you know, I don't know, you break into his bedroom in six books. I'll get right on it. (laughs) God, I hope it doesn't take us the whole adventure path to get rid of this dude. Oh, probably. So, uh, yeah, and then we got introduced to our characters. And uh, we're going to go into the characters a little bit more, but we got short little vignettes to kind of uh, talk about the characters, uh, get a little bit of information about them. And uh, following that was a, uh, a fun little protest where you guys got to go and gather some information and watch the crowds and all the rest of that. I'm assuming that all of you went into that, assuming the protest was going to go south. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. Figured, yeah. yeah. So no real big surprise there. And then uh, episode two was uh, the protest went south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, pretty of, much. The end of episode one was Brazil I threw in uh, making his appearance and uh, basically saying, hey, guys. Here's another new dumb proclamation. Yeah, I hear you. Let me make this proclamation that has nothing to do with anything. Ta-ta. And it's bad. Let me make things worse. I feel like that's the Thrun house motto. Let me make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) The real question is, the kid that threw the manure at him, is that, was that a protester or an agent provocateur? 
Yeah, I'm yeah, curious. That's also interesting. That could easily have been a planted kid to give him the excuse to disperse the crowd. Mm. Maybe. That's true. That's why he missed. Because what I was expecting his proclamation to be was, there are now no, no gatherings of more than 20 people allowed. Bye, everyone. But instead he went something like totally crazy. Yep. Because if you were there to cheer him on, he wants you to be able to gather together and be like, yeah, house throne. I mean, there, there are counter fair. protesters there in support of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so the following episode was the riot. So as protests uh, eventually just became riot instead, as people said, F this noise. And then uh, mm-hmm. the Datari responded. Well, actually, the Datari kind of hung back and uh, yeah, they they waited kept guard on the building until they eventually decided to step in. But they it was like, mostly oh, the uh, citizens got it. Yeah, it's mostly the Chillish Citizens Group. Yeah, they're the worst. (laughs) Yep, the CCGs. I want to crack open a pack of CCGs myself right here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you guys got your first taste of uh, second edition combat with that one, which was an interesting combat because it was kind of a, uh, a steadily escalating encounter until you eventually went, oh, wait, this is going to go poorly. Mm -hmm. Let's duck out. Yeah, there are hellhounds. Run. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, about that moment was definitely the it's time to peace oh, out of we here. We were yeah. already on our way out before she brought out the hellhounds, and if we hadn't been, that definitely would have been the, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, Victoria yeah. saw an opening and was like, peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happens if that goes on longer? Do they just open a gate and summon a Baylor and call it a day? After I mean, the I just imagine they let I those mean... hellhounds loose and they just start lighting the place up. Yeah, well, because it starts with the Chill Citizens group, and then um, if the fighting goes on too long, the two Datari jump into the fray. And mind you, like as you were seeing, the guard are well-equipped and trained and uh, rather mm-hmm. effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't they mention also, one of the guys uh, mentioned that they had kind of restaffed a lot of the Datari with outside guardsmen from somewhere else? Yeah, Vit- Vittoria's friend, uh, who she met in her vignette had mentioned that they'd restaffed uh, and the the guards that were renowned for having like close ties with the communities and all the rest of that had been reassigned so that it was people that weren't on necessarily like terms with the communities so they wouldn't hesitate yeah so you wouldn't hesitate to stab a citizen yep well because they probably depersonalized a lot of the opposition quote unquote like calling them dogs and stuff mm-hmm. like that is a classic tactic to make them not seem human so that it's okay to kill them. The hellhounds show up, although they are they are chained. Even them just showing up and breathing their breath weapons on all the rest of that around does a good job of dispersing the rest of the crowd. Uh, the following round, uh, the Tatari that are stationed immediately inside of the opera house step out if the party hasn't fled, which is 12 more Tatari. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot of Tatari. If yeah. somehow, if the PCs are still in the immediate area... Nox, who is the uh, the woman that you've seen, directs the hellhounds to attack them. Uh, in essence, just releasing the hounds. Oh, yikes! It's it's in essence only if you manage to defeat everyone else that she herself steps in. Yeah, and she has oh some sort of regeneration ability because she took a knife to the neck and pulled it Ooh, out and moved on with her day. Yeah, so. that was a boss move, but uh, mm-hmm. a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like that's what I was basically like. Victoria is getting out of here. Yeah, props to whoever tried to assassinate her, but if you did some move like that and it didn't work, it's like we had no chance of doing anything to her. And again, was that planned as an intimidation or... I worked if it did. The way Rick phrased it was that in the scuffle, somebody lost hold of their dagger and it just happened to get her, which I could believe. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even even the the lowliest of peasants can roll a natural 20. That is true. 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 So... And one of the things that they do talk about in the player's guide is how Barzillai has all sorts of like powerful allies that there's mm-hmm. rumors that devils and undead and even a dragon might be his associate. So who the mm-hmm. heck knows what she could be? So I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you guys finished off this fight and I'm curious on two parts on this. Uh, one is what did you think about the encounter? as far as like just mechanically speaking. Mm. And the other one was, and this happens a lot in video games and it's very rare that I see it happen in tabletop games is you were in essence put in what was, what amounted to as a no win scenario. Yeah. And you see that a lot in video games, but it's very rare for them to try something like that in a tabletop game because there are some groups that I think would have just been like, well, it's a fight, so I'm not We're going to keep fighting all the way down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, in this situation, it's one of those, you're right outside the 
base of all of these people and you know the guard is corrupt and they're out there trying to kill people and especially initially when those two guards were just standing there I was like okay we'll take care of the Datari we'll keep yelling or not the Datari we'll take care of the citizens group and then we'll get the crowd to disperse and then we'll get out of here I was never really planning to attack the guard that's when they started to move in I was like okay time to leave yeah, I think it was more the guard weren't just like trying to murder people as they walked through the crowd. So it was like, okay, time to leave then. But if they had been like just murdering people in the crowd, that would have been a different situation. And yeah. I think it was one of those escalating scenarios where like you start with a citizens group, they can do some damage, but they're not like deadly necessarily. And then you see it kind of steadily escalating to the point where eventually, I mean, most groups are going to look at it and go, okay, this is probably only going to get worse. We should leave because there's definitely more guardsmen than there are people that came in that, that are around you. And eventually everybody else leaves and they're just like, oh, it's like it's these five miscreants that are left. Like, let's get them. I think they did a good job at actually scaling up the, the danger to where you eventually go. Yeah, I should probably leave. Well, and even once the crowd starts to thin out and then it's just you and the other PCs wailing on the guard, it's like, how are you not going to get arrested at that point? Yeah, that's yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Well, that's why my character was like, I do not want to land the first blow. I want to wait until one of them hits me just in case. But, you know, it wasn't really going to do anything because this isn't exactly a fair society. Yeah, I mean, that's why Adria was like, whatever, hit them hard and hit them fast. Yeah. I do have to admit to something. Um, I didn't build a murder machine character, um, and I didn't intend to critical that person that I that Lucia ended up killing. And once I did, I, real, I was caught up in the moment of, oh, man, these dice are rolling great. I'm doing lots of damage and forgot that they were it was non-lethal or it wasn't wanted to uh, non-lethal damage. And I murdered that person. I was like, oh, crud, because that was not my intention. <laughs> Yeah. And so I've just kind of rolled with it for the rest of the episodes. There's an element to this, which is also the death and dying rules are really only for PCs. Yep. If you kill like that guy, he doesn't go down to dying one or whatever it is. It's like, no, he just dies, which mm -hmm. means that if you're if you're not using non-lethal the entire time, you don't know when it's going to be the killing blow. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're wanting to try to take someone alive or something like that, it's like, no, being non-lethal straight off is your only option. And the weird thing about second edition is you can non-lethal everything pretty much. So like yeah. my precision damage, piercing damage, you know, it doesn't matter if it's bludgeoning or anything. You can basically just be like, I take a minus two. It's non-lethal now. So I kind of like that, but it's definitely a, a new thing to get used to. But yeah, and one of the interesting things with that fight was the fact that everyone was doing non-lethal from the beginning. Like if everyone had stuck to non-lethal fighting like on both sides, it would have just been a non-lethal knockdown drag out fight between people because the guards were wanting to capture you. The Chelsea citizens group was wanting to capture you. It's really it literally states in there that is until the PCs use lethal, no one else does. And really, that was just a, a lucky electric arc from Cesare that actually killed somebody. You know? Yep. Sure. Total total Lots. chance. But again, it just shows it shows that even if you're trying to not kill someone, you're still using deadly force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so, that's the whole thing. Like they, they try not to call it like non-lethal attacks. It's like less than lethal because you can still technically concuss somebody to yeah. the point of, of killing them. Uh, even well, if you're using something that's not in necessarily designed to kill people. In real life. Yeah, yeah. in real life. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, dealing non-lethal damage, you can never kill someone. Yeah. Which, good on them, because uh, that was sometimes some of the problem with first edition and non-lethal damage is like, unless you had a weapon that was kind of designed to do non-lethal, you took pretty drastic penalties and it was kind of a pain to do non-lethal. So yeah. I, I do like doing this in second edition where it's a lot more forgiving about you trying to do non-lethal damage. You know, and if you don't want to play a murder hobo, you don't have to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Lucia was literally a murder hobo because she was homeless at the time, too. Yes. I was, I, the, the irony didn't pass me by that she had decided to be like, going to be like, I'm going to go to this protest and figure my life out and ended up murdering somebody. And like her, you know, first act of rebellion is basically I ran away from home and killed a guy. <laughs> so uh, not exactly how I intended the character to go, but, you know, that's your that's family life. would approve of the killing. <laughs> My family would probably have no problem other than the fact that I killed a Thrun loyalist. You know, <laughs> they're not too keen on that. Uh, and yeah, and then at the end of that episode, uh, all of you met in an alleyway. You had a brief uh, discussion with one another and then you met up with uh, Rexus. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
It was very interesting just because it's it's kind of weird because like I got the vibe from him that he's like wanting to be the man in the chair. Okay, I'm I know a little bit of stuff, but like I'm not going to be out there actually doing anything. But like I can coordinate from here, you know, he's the guy in the chair. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, I'm not much of a swordsman and I'm not really all that athletic. And uh, my constitution is lacking or what? How did he phrase it? Again, yeah. he's he's very book smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But not yeah. in a wizard way either. So it's not like I can't even really like cast spells or. Yeah, I don't think he has any combat ability. He's probably just got like, you know, uh, a level of, you know, noble or something like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's well educated. So there's that at least. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and you got to meet up with Rexus. He uh, ran you through some of what he knew as far as you know, confirming that the uh, the house throne was responsible for the death of the Viticora noble family mm-hmm. and that he is trying to uh, his mother's uh, one of the last things that she did was provide a coffer to a friend of the family who then brought took it to him and uh, called for him to reestablish the Silver Ravens and mm-hmm. fight for the freedom of the city and yeah. he basically went to the protest to try to find some people and then while he was fleeing she kind of looked back and went oh what's with these five people duking it out with a chillish citizens group and standing up to the Datari and, and all the and rest winning. of that yeah. yeah, and like not only all the rest of that, but also literally, you know, leaping up to shout orders and direct the crowd and cover people's escape and in essence self sacrifice that he looked back and said, Those are the elements of heroes that I need. Yeah. Wandered the city streets to uh, to find you afterwards. And then took you to the back of a bookshop and uh you guys got to all pledge yourselves to be silver ravens. It was neat. Yeah. Sort of. I'm thinking back about that. I don't know if he was actually just trying to like shake my hand or something, but nope, it became a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, <I> just... <laughs> we made it into the into the team high five thing. That's the thing. Go is like... Ravens. I like how Raven put her little paw in there. Like that yeah. was nice. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it, it was intended as a handshake, but okay, yeah. I see. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was just funny because I was thinking back. I was like, you know, he was probably trying to shake my hand, and then I just made it a thing. But like, I hadn't intended to. Because <laughs> I just was a thought, good thing, Ross. Like he held his hand out. I was like, oh, we're doing the hand thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like we're playing the sport. I've got it. And then sticks yeah. it. Out. <laughs> so, it's like anyway. you know when one person's going for a fist bump and the other person's going for a handshake, and then it all just you just fails. grab their yeah. fist and you're like, okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah this but is I like that weird. it turned into a thing. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So, and again, you guys got your your party name right out the bat. Although, again, you're not quite Silver Ravens yet. No, so much, I don't think but... we're calling ourselves that yet. I think we, it's we, more. We need more of an initiation of something. We need to find more, the more hidden official. bat. You know, the bat cave with all the stuff mm-hmm. that like tells us what that even means. The, the silver hidden, rookery. You know, yeah, the, the rookery. The, yes. the, the hidden assassins lair. Then we all have to go make a leap of faith. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone chop off your ring finger and put this cool glove on. <laughs> Look, the blade goes through the happen. place where your finger was. Oh, wait, fake out. We don't have to do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leonardo. Yeah, I was going to say, Leonardo <laughs> fixed that for us. <laughs> that brought us into the third episode, which was just kind of a, a little bit of role-playing opportunity for everyone. The party scattered and went about their own uh, own various businesses. You have your first clue, your first direction as far as... Uh, how to start getting this whole rebellion thing rolling, which is going and finding the the secret Silver Raven lair beneath the livery. Mm-hmm. Which which is a weird place to put stuff. Well, you know? yeah. are, are you going to look as a city guard? Are you going to look underneath the local livery for the, you know, secret rebellious organization? Probably not. That's fair. It's, just, it's, so it's one of those like who came up with that you know genius place to hide their stuff it's one of those just the most common place you can think of because you, you know hiding it at the university or the library or a temple I mean those are the places that everybody's gonna think that the super secret organization is at you'd also have horses Sure. The letter even implied that they had numerous places to hold up and all the rest of that across the city so this was just mm. one of them but again, it's like if you oh. they're like, oh, okay, well, we put the trap door in the stall where we keep all the manure. Yep. And then that way, uh, whenever the guard come looking, it's like they're not going to look too close in that room. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though I do think this is the first AP we've had where everybody's like, have to do this when I can, you know, get off work or before work yeah. or I gotta I go know, to work. Like we, we all have our day jobs and then it's like, okay, let's go do some skullduggery after work instead of like going to the tavern and getting a beer. <laughs> gotta pay for class. But uh, when you said uh, many ones scattered throughout the city, my mind immediately just went to this like map, like overhead map of the entire city of Kentargo. And like it's like yep. find the remaining you know like hideouts like over time. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Find the <laughs> Silver Raven backpacks. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scattered about the city. <laughs> Buy the Silver Raven backpacks and one hundred pigeon feathers. Oh no! Oh, Why? No. Oh, gosh. no. Never, never gonna do no, that. No, <laughs> no. Screw your feathers. But uh, I do appreciate, speaking of the overhead view of Kentargo, um, the player's guide for this because this is a city campaign gives a ridiculously detailed view of the city and like everything that's in it. And the city's not that large. It's like, what, maybe like a mile wide and then like maybe two miles um, tall if you like take it on the map. But it has like 50 points of interest that they stat out throughout the whole city. So there's plenty of little places that they've given like a sentence to basically. So like it's kind of weird for us to like kind of know what the area is that we're going around in. Um, whereas before it's like we go to we go to this new town we don't know anything about this town we're just here for an adventure you know yeah that segues well into uh, what I was wanting to do for the back half of this episode uh, which was first off discuss uh, our thoughts on this adventure path and why we decided to do this adventure path rolling off of what Jordan was saying right there uh, I've been interested in doing Hell's Rebels for a very long time I have always been a big fan of city adventure paths yeah I love things Ditto. like Curse of the Crimson Throne I love ones where you're at one location where the the location almost becomes a character itself. Yeah. Yeah. And you become really invested in the idea of just saving this city. And yeah, you so, gotta have uh, your, your Gothams and your metropolises and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, hopefully this will eventually be better than Gotham, but uh and uh, yeah. better than Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out just for interest purpose, Batman never really succeeds in making Gotham much better. No, uh, and hopefully you guys not. will succeed in making this place better. Yeah having a location that you can really invest in. And I know everyone here can kind of sympathize off of this. And depending on when you're listening to this in the future, the catalyst for deciding to do Hell's Rebels kind of came from the difficulty that everyone was having in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. Just all combined, it was a pretty poor year. Yep. And so we're already doing Mummy's Mask, which is high adventure. It's it's kind of quintessential fantasy, just with a very strong ancient Egyptian flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And that worked great for us for that. And we're doing Tyrant's Grasp, which is a story that I feel needs to be told. And for a lot of story-based and setting-based reasons, I think it's a great story to tell. But it is also survival horror. It is it is a very grim, dark kind of tell. It, it tugs on your heart and it doesn't let go. It just, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like a zombie Closet. reaching up through your chest to grab your heart. Aww. So I think, I think all of us were interested in doing Hell's Rebels just because it is a more hopeful story. It is yeah. a story about seeing that you're in a place that is, is dark and grim, uh, even with Lucia murdering some guy and all the other dark stuff that we kind of established in the first episode. We kind of put this baseline there and the idea was to steadily improve the city from there as you kind of climb up as the story progresses. And then hopefully it's going to be a message of uh, a message that resonates with people as we move forward. Mm -hmm. But this adventure um, path is about hope and making things better. And like Rick said, in 2020, that's what we all need. Sorry to to kick it over to all of you. uh, I was wondering, like, one, what were your thoughts on doing Hell's Rebels? And two, like, what were your initial impressions of Hell's Rebels before we started to do this? I don't know. I wasn't sure how we would have become the Silver Raven. So I think the way they did that was interesting. But I mean, everybody knows that Hell's Rebels is about, you know, the revolution and throwing off the mantle of old Chiliacs. The revolution will be televised. Or at the Mm -hmm. very least, audio drama (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's pretty much exactly what i thought it was going to be and you always think of hell's rebels in contrast with hell's vengeance because hell's vengeance is like the evil adventure path Mm -hmm. the thing for me is that i i really like chiliax um you know it's got a lot of like kind of theatrics to it you know you've got like high gothic architecture you've got opera houses and you know plays and all this like artwork being created but it's given it that dark twist 
that just kind of perverts that entire idea of, you know, a, a time of enlightenment and all of this stuff by taking it and saying, but what if they just, you know, all worship devils? I chose Lucia to be somebody from like the theater thing. One, cause I'm a theater kid myself. I did theater throughout all of my schooling. I have a love for the theater because of that, but also because the murder plays are the most weird, bizarre, crazy thing that I've heard of in the Galarian setting. And I was like, I want to talk a little bit more about how messed up that is. Well, I am that person that when I watch a horror movie, I want them to succeed in the end. Mm-hmm. I am mm. not actually a big fan of when the villain wins in most cases because I like that catharsis. That's why I skip all the episodes of Criminal Minds where they don't catch the bad guy at the end of the episode. And so I felt like going into Hell's Rebels, I get to have that catharsis and I get to be a part of it. And I, I'm already kind of seeing the groundwork for that. And I really like it so far. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ross? I was definitely excited to play Hell's Rebels. I think uh, part of it is that uh, I got to play some of uh, Council of Thieves back in the day, which was a lot of fun. Mm. And so I love Chiliax. Mm. It is a cool place. However, I also was very interested to, I mean, like Rick said, I mean, I agree with Rick insofar as that I'm also a really big fan of just urban campaigns in general. And this one Mm -hmm. especially seemed like a place where you get to explore the city and then be a part of the city and i'm really interested in um i'm really interested in seeing what sort of community we get to form with this city i think it's going to be really cool Mm -hmm. absolutely i guess getting into the 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 nit and gritty and everything when we launched our patreon which was uh september 2019 Mm -hmm. it was uh immediately after the release of second edition and we had a lot of people wonder at the time whether or not we were going to do a second adventure, second edition of Interpath for our Patreon. And I think we made it pretty clear then that we decided not to. And part of the reason behind that was that one, the game was brand new and we didn't really know it. And two, we kind of wanted from the beginning that if we were going to do something second edition that we wanted to be available to everyone. Mm-hmm. Because we wanted to be able to, to share that experience with everyone and not limit the public access to it. And that if people wanted to donate to us via our Patreon, that we are delivering what I consider to be one of our best stories in the case of Tyrant's Grasp, as Mm. sad as it can often be, all of you deliver on the role play consistently week in and week out. Thank you. You're welcome. But then with the decision to launch a second edition podcast, I knew early on that every single time a new second edition of Interpath comes out, there are three or four people already doing a podcast on it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that a lot of people started new po- new stories and new podcasts right out of the gate with the, yeah. you know, new second edition adventure paths. Many of which are good. Yeah, and we don't want to trample on anybody else's toes. Um, if you've been following us in our other, you know, in Mummy's Mask and on social media, you know that we like to support other podcasts. So we don't Absolutely. want to do something someone else is already doing and you know, inadvertently maybe take listeners away from them and things like that. So this gives us a chance to do an older adventure path from first edition that we were all really interested in, but then still bring second edition content to our listeners. Yeah, it's also interesting because there aren't that many second edition adventure paths out right now. And if you were looking to run an adventure path, you wouldn't have to have the worry of, well, I want my players to listen to find the path or I want to listen to find the path, but we're going to be running that in a couple of months and I don't want to yeah. run the story. Like we've had mm-hmm. that come up with Tyrant's Grasp and mm-hmm. Mummy's Mask and stuff. And apparently just not as many people run Hell's Rebels. It's, I think the timing of when it came out and that sort of stuff. Some of it's the timing of when it came out and some of it is for some people, Hell's Rebels was not what they were expecting or necessarily wanting when it came huh. out. There's a reason if you read if you read the player's guide for Hell's Rebels, it stresses at the top what Hell's Rebels is and is not. Oh, I thought that was weird. And they stress at the top, Hell's Rebels is not the adventure path where you overthrow House Throne. Where you, mm-hmm. you know, yep. march to Agorian and throw down the Church of Asmodeus and raise back up the, you know, the temples of Aradin uh. to Iomede and all the, And that's what people thought it was gonna be. Oh, we're finally fighting Queen Abigail Throne in her home. It's like, no, this is about this city fostering you know freedom a spirit of freedom and community in this city and fighting back to free your land your home but not necessarily on the grand scheme of overthrowing the prince of hell himself yeah 
And honestly, I don't know if Paizo would ever really do something like that, because if you take away Chiliax, you take away one of the game's big baddies. And I mean, I guess they could replace it with something else or bring Nidal more to the forefront or something, but... Yeah, I mean, they certainly could. You don't want to take out all your bad guys, you know what I mean? And especially if it's a if it's a piece of the setting that's been around, I mean, roughly that 10 like. years that yeah. a lot of people really enjoy. It's... You know, as a as a, I think as a creative professional, it would be hard to say that's the darling I'm going to kill and kind of take all that work that we put into it and just say, eh, never mind. Absolutely. The second thing that I wanted to get to during this back half, because we hadn't we had never really gotten a chance. We were focused on the story for our first three parts. So I wanted to go uh, around table. We'll start with Jess and then make our way around of why the character you're playing why the class, why the background, why the ancestry, like what drew you to what you were doing to make your character. So uh, we'll start with uh, with Adria. Cool. Yeah, Adria is funny. So I knew I wanted to play a druid because I love druids and I'd never played one on the pod before. So Despite the fact it's your favorite class, we might add. Yeah, I make druids all the time. Uh, so Adria is a druid. She's an artisan because uh, I kind of I wanted her to be just like a common person and I'm really I base her a lot on my mom like my mom doesn't have that accent and she you know hasn't murdered people or anything but (laughs) that you know yeah that's you're willing to admit on a pod (laughs) 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 exactly Uh, but like you know the idea of like trying to, to take care of everyone feed everyone check in on people give tough love when they need it and advice when they need it I'm also really looking forward to playing like a woman who's like an empty nester who doesn't have a husband around and her kids left and like is trying to figure out what she's trying like who is she and what is she trying to do now like who is she when she's not caring for somebody else and has to care for herself yeah a lot of why she joined this rebellion is like well I mean what else am I doing it's nice to be part of something yeah I'll bring the cookies exactly (laughs) cookies for everyone (laughs) I will mention that Jessica uh, chose a background that's one of the standard backgrounds from the core sure. book. I actually created backgrounds. They're available or will be available on our Patreon as part of my conversion notes that are available at the $5 tier on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. But everyone else, I think, chose one of those. They did. Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I kind of approach every character that I've done on the pod with how can I do something I've never done before in terms of trying to do a different kind of character. And Swashbucklers are one of those weird things that um, I think Jess and I were literally on vacation when we got the uh, you know an early PDF of the uh, of the advanced players guide, and I remember just looking at it going, "Wow, this is really cool! Like, I think this is really nifty. I love the the panache mechanic and how that works." And I was like, "I can I can make something cool with this," and it kind of flowed into again the the interesting part of Chiliax for me is the theater and how they do the murder plays and things like that. I didn't want to be a part of the murder plays because they're decidedly evil. But having somebody who kind of shares my love of the theater and grows up in a kind of privileged life is something that, you know, I think is not really talked about when we talk about revolutions is the people who come from the oppressors who have awakenings that they really discover that they are the bad people and what they do about that. And I thought it was a challenging character because I also chose a character who's in the midst of trying to redefine herself. So the thing with Lucia that that people may have picked up on is Lucia has three different voices. Um, and so I do three different accents for them. Um, that is not just a, a gaffe on my part. That's actually intentional. So Lucia has... Well, <laughs> I'll get into the thought process behind it is... So Lucia's... I was going to originally do an Italian accent for Lucia, and uh, the problem with Lucia's accent being Italian is it sounds too much like my character Sudi on the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. So um, I decided to make that the accent that she uses when she's acting. That's the a little bit you know older kind of accent. Um, and then I needed I, I needed something that I wanted to play off of Jess's character of having that kind of Brooklyn accent and being um, a little bit more relatable. You know, it's it's the fact that Lucia is a noble person doing a profession that some nobles do participate in, but also a lot of lower class people do. And really her desire to want to fit in 
And that's her trying to be somebody she's not currently, but she wants really desperately to adopt that position. Um, And then her actual accent with her family is kind of a transatlantic kind of no accent. It's kind of a challenge to keep it all straight, but there is a method to the madness of what I've done to myself. So, you know. (laughs) I know I just went on like a long spiel there, but that's, 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 I, I put a lot of thought into this. And so it's not just like, you know, something I just kind of threw together. Yeah. I also just want Jessica to do a like soliloquy from Shakespeare in the Brooklyn accent now. Now that you said, yeah. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen. <laughs> Let me get ears. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> okay. So, Heather, what about, uh, what about Cesare? Elf. Cesare is an elf. Contargo actually has an interesting history where when their theater and art and everything was at its peak, a bunch of elves came. So Cesare was actually born in Contargo. His parents were both uh, artists that came when that was going on. So he was actually born and raised in Contargo. So that's why he's there. Um, Of course, a lot of stuff has happened since then. But I just thought that was an interesting way to have, you know, the city has a giant half-elf population. You know, that's mm-hmm. as Jess and Rachel both playing half-elves. That's true. Let's see. I picked Wizard because Wizard is actually one of my favorite classes, and I haven't played one in a long, long time, and I haven't done one on the pod. And I always like making Rick do silly things as familiars, so I had to have a familiar. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you are like, like what? Four. <laughs> I was going to say, it's it's... I think the only character that doesn't have a familiar is the one in Tales from Darkmoon Vale. Yeah, but you have one. So, Ross, you take that. Ross has to do ridiculous <laughs> things. You always have to have a familiar to make your DM do silly, or you make your GM do silly things, obviously. Um, and <laughs> Raven actually ties into Cesare's backstory. I've kind of hinted about, and I've had him flat out say, I can't really do magic without Raven. That's not a mechanic thing. That's something that's part of his backstory. Is she his emotional support kitty? Sort of. Sort of. And then... More of a spirit animal. Yeah. No. (laughs) And then uh, the background um, I chose was X Asmodean. And in his little... And the little role playing I did with Raven after we all met each other, that was kind of touched on a little bit. But I don't want to say too much about that because it needs to come out in the story. Yes, that was so hey. choice though. The whole like I brought them here, I'll get them out of here. <laughs> I know, that was like, that was like I was like, what? I know, so we I'm were imagining like... the audience did the same reaction. Yeah. <laughs> the best part of playing is like other people's stories have interest. Like when when uh, Vittoria was like, hey, you you left something out, and Rex had to tell her the things. And we're all like, what? Like that's yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I suppose uh, then looking over at Vittoria. Oh, yeah, we are half-elves, but we're different half-elves because I'm, like, half-sea-elf and you're half-normal-elf? Land-elf. I don't know what they call them. I'm, land I elf. guess land-elf. <laughs> I don't know. Land-elf um, the there, gray. There, there's a lot <laughs> is part of Vittoria's backstory that we will get to eventually. Um, obviously not going to go into it here, but I chose the investigator because as... The same with Jessica. I have a love affair with investigators. And when I found out that they were coming out in the advanced player's guide, I was like, yeah, I just I have to play an investigator in 2E and see if I love it as much as I loved it in 1E. And so far, I'm really enjoying it, especially mm-hmm. since uh, thanks to Jessica, I've been able to, to take advantage of Hero Lab. And it's really made it easy to kind of keep track of all the investigator stuff that I get to do. So that's been really fun. Uh, I chose Half-Elf because, um, as Heather was saying, there's kind of a history of the elven culture being there and then leaving behind this legacy of Half-Elves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Turns um, out if you have a whole bunch of elves and a whole bunch of humans in the same place for a while. You get a bunch of Half-Elves. <laughs> so, they love each um, other very much. My character just really, she's been bo- she was born and raised, well, she was born elsewhere, but she was raised in Cantargo, so it is her home. And she is trying to make it as much of a home as she can. And that's, we'll get into why and all that stuff later. Yeah. And then for your, uh, your background, what did you take for that one? I took Urban Sleuth because I Makes thought sense. it was the most befitting for an investigator mm-hmm. that, you know, she's going to go around the city and just learn what she can, however she can, which is why, you know, she's, she's got lockpicks, you know, hidden in her hair that people don't know about and stuff like that, you know. Nice. Yep. Okay, okay. What I really want to know is how many of us have lockpicks because I also have a lockpicking set. Cesare is trained in Thievery too. So Adrian four out of five it. of us have lockpicks. We're ready to go. 
Mm-hmm. Adrian's more likely just to break a door down or something. <laughs> Speaking of breaking door down. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Hey. hey, I did that. That's true. That was me. Um, Niccolo is... There's a few different aspects that I wanted to go to. You know, you probably remember he is a tiefling. Um, he is a human tiefling. So tieflings are technically now a heritage rather than their own separate ancestry. Mm-hmm. Yes. A versatile heritage. Yes. Uh, which actually means that you can be a tiefling of just about any ancestry. And I love a, that so much. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, and that is awesome. I just wanted to throw out real quick. And uh, I know probably someone's going to comment on this. And I don't want to start this entire fight in our subreddit and all the rest of that. I pronounce it Tiefling. Some mm-hmm. people pronounce it Tiefling. I don't know if there is a correct pronunciation. It also, it's a fantasy word. It. Yeah, It's a yep. fantasy yeah. word. And, uh, I, that's yeah. how I've always said it, too. I, I've, I've always, always said, said Tiefling, too. So. I say it either way. It really doesn't matter. But anyway. I wanted to play uh, Niklo as a, as a Tiefling for... The main reason um, being that, A, no one else was doing it. But uh, I think that that actually lends a lot to the story because there is a rather hefty element of, you know, tieflings and an underclass and all that in Cantargo. And I thought that that would be a really good thing to explore for the sake of the story. Absolutely. The uh, other main reason, of course, being that I just think that they're very interesting. Um, They're neat. yeah, I actually just do tend to play them or half orcs or any other people don't always look at them kindly, but they're actually like folks like anyone else. So, yeah, for my background, I went on ahead and chose a natural born leader because Niccolo and as the story goes on, we'll probably get more of this is kind of a kind of a union man. And I think that uh, mm. that makes a hefty like class element also added into the story. So that's kind of one of the things I wanted to go into. He's like a union rep, you know, fighting against these uh, big corporations trying to abuse the little man. He's exactly. also a strength-based rogue, right? Yeah, and actually, yes, I am uh, for my class. I am playing a rogue, which is a pretty large departure for me. Mm. To be honest, I've never actually played one before. Um, I'm curious how many people thought fighter. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Though I think we mentioned in like big burly guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean he he does have a hefty strength. His dex is okay, but like it's above average. But no, he's Chain definitely mail. lots. Yeah, he's definitely a lot stronger than he is fast. And of course, I have the ruffian racket because it works really well for that. However, nice. yeah, like his uh, his upbringing and just the way that he survived in the city just seemed to scream rogue to me more so than anything else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really fun to dive into the role play. Like, it was cool that your mom was a halfling and, like, we got to be like, yeah, yeah I speak that halfling. was I really speak halfling. interesting. That was cool. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll, we might find out more about her, too, as time goes on. <laughs> I'm also really, I mean, she gave me, you know, bread for sandwiches. So, Nicola always appreciates that. Sure. He loves him nice. some sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> Except for those, those pigeons come around and take us sandwiches. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't do that. Don't take my sandwich. You you won't like me when you've taken my sandwich. <laughs> Dirty pigeons. <laughs> but uh, last thing, too, is uh, I'm actually really interested to find out who left that rose. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah that was yeah. a it was a interesting. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. Like, is it a threat? Is it something romantic? Is it a step in a mystery? Like, who knows? Is it? Oh, I, no idea. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I thought Milani because yeah. like that's the mm-hmm. holy symbol of Milani. Well, I think it's that other, that other tiefling at the funeral who was there with you. And like, she talked, I don't know. She gave me like Milani vibes and then, I don't know. Yes. Possibly. She is the leader of the Cloven Hoof Society, um, but I don't know. Which by the way is the coolest society name too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's very good and I like it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing that's really neat about doing city campaigns is that like, there's so much that you can a person's environment and kind of the people they deal with and the way that they approach situations can tell you so much. Like it's really nice to have like a shop or an apartment or a whatever, because then mm-hmm. like the environment gets to tell some of the story, you know, like yeah. we only get to find out that Adria has a son who moved away because she has an extra room for Lucia to stay in. And then it kind of lets you explore stuff you may not have otherwise been able to explore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, just getting into like just the comparison between uh, seeing Lucia's 
room from her vignette in the uh, the first episode, and then seeing where Niccolo's staying. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, there's there's yeah. that huge class divide. It only occurred to me as I was saying that I basically set up Niccolo's uh, living arrangement as a, a Latin. There's just got like, <laughs> one big view oh, of the yeah. castle on the hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your princess will come. Yep. <laughs> I who knows? Yeah. So we ended up with a uh, druid swashbuckler. So I guess Lucia is technically kind of the front line there. A uh, yeah, wizard investigator and uh, strength based rogue. So yep. you guys Definitely have a pretty eclectic line. group, but uh, indeed, mm-hmm. it should Very be intriguing. Motley. So that covers the uh, like what we're doing, why we're doing it, what everyone is playing. Uh, there are some great things coming in the future. So. Uh, before we let you go, and this is something I think we're we're hoping to make a more regular thing, but I do think we have a bit of a, a contest that we're going to be launching with, a, in, in addition to launching this to celebrate the new year, as uh, if you're listening to this on uh, the 8th or the first week of January, to celebrate the new year, 2021. Let's bring mm-hmm. this in with style. So new I'm going to kick that over to Jessica because uh, I don't, despite being the game master, I don't read. I don't read. <laughs> That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, we mentioned it. Uh, we've actually partnered with Norse Foundry, and they have given us a very shiny, very cool set of their uh, wondrous metal dice in cotton candy, where all of the high numbers are actually our dice and headphones logo. So yep. if you want to, to have a shot at winning those, we are going to be essentially drawing from random. All you have to do, three steps. Step one leave us a review for this show for hell's rebels uh step two take a screenshot step three either email it to us or tweet it at us and if you're going to email you're going to email us at mail at findthepathpodcast.com or you can find us on twitter and pretty much every social media at find the path pod so leave a review screenshot the review send us the review and we will enter you to win some really rad dice Jordan nope. has not touched them, and they have been cat-blessed. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> if you ever sat there and gone, I wish I could roll like Jessica. Yes. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of chaotic, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, but, you uh, never know, but... <laughs> they are yeah, the same you... set that I have for Adria, so that's kind of like having mm-hmm. Adria's dice, but like they're twin. Yeah, yeah. and if you're wondering why uh, these dice are so rad, uh, so the set that we have is uh, made from aircraft-grade aluminum, they are CNC milled to precision. That means it's computer done and uh, then anodized. So they have a unique pattern on them. Um, they are stunning, surprisingly light very nice. also for being metal dice um, mm-hmm. and yeah, very durable. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, I, I believe you said that if you're milling it to us, that's going to be mill at findthepathpodcast.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How convenient that that was available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> I'm sure everyone was rushing to get that email address. We just got lucky. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, feel free to email those in and uh, and leave us, rate us, reviews, all the rest of that stuff. If the contest is over, uh, please leave and rate, re- rate us and uh, leave reviews and all the rest of that. We read all of the reviews. We are very thankful mm-hmm. for any of those that we receive as they do they... a great deal to do analytics stuff, which I don't really understand, but I understand it helps us. They yes. help people find us. So, like, yep. you know, tell your friends, tell your family. Yeah. Um, it makes our math numbers bigger, and if you yeah. know anything about gaming, that's an important thing. Math numbers big is good. Yeah, bigger than three for sure. <laughs> and if somehow Hell's Rebels is the first place you found us, that's awesome. Happy Welcome. to have you. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Pathful. Yes. We also have uh, our Mummy's Mask, which is a weekly free podcast. Uh, that one's still using first edition rules, but it's us. So, hey, you know, fun story. And then you can find that by uh, searching for uh, Find the Path podcast. And then uh, we also do have our Patreon where we've talked about Tyrant's Grass. That's a biweekly one um, on our Patreon exclusive feed. So there are many ways to listen to us doing mm-hmm. different adventures and if you want to play with us we do hang out on our discord and play in some society games so you know come join if us over there anyone's gonna start a hell's vengeance hit me up because apparently none of the rest of these losers want to play it so <laughs> i heard you have to kick a dog or something and i'm out oh no yeah no I'm that's out. in book one no no spoilers it. it's just i w- i looked at that and was like we're immediately not playing this <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, I think that is actually it for us for today. So, again, check back uh, in two weeks. That's going to be on January the 20th when the next episode comes out. And then it'll be bi-weekly from there until we hit our Patreon goal, uh, which I think is our 7,500 goal yep. to uh, bring this to a weekly podcast. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, hope you've all enjoyed Hell's Rebels thus far. Come join us for the next step in the revolution. The revolution <laughs> will be televised. And uh, until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Good luck. Bye, Pathfinders. Have fun out there. Stay don't hydrated. Die. Yeah, don't Stay die. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. You can shut up. Have a cookie. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. 